Welcome to the Property Renovation Podcast, giving you the best tips on achieving the perfect renovation whilst making it as fun, safe, and as cost-effective as possible by hearing from experts in the industry and people that have been through the experience themselves. Let me introduce your host, four times award winner of world-leading interior design website, House, and over 16 years in the industry, renovating just over 250 properties, James Woodham. Hello, and welcome to the next episode of the Property Renovation Podcast. On today's episode, I've got the pleasure of um, interviewing Nick Stockley. He's one of the co-founders of Resi. .co.uk. And I will leave um, that down to Nick to explain exactly what that is. But um, I'm a real, uh, I really love the new technology that comes out um, at the moment and disrupting the way that things are being done usually, um, just to make it more convenient and more cost effective for homeowners. So um, Nick, welcome to the podcast. Hi there. How are you? I'm good. Thank you very much. Um, so can you just give us a brief understanding of Resi? What's the backstory and how did you come up with a name? Yeah, okay. Well, um, basically, I, I set up a practice in London around 10 years ago. Um, and um, obviously, I met Alex through uh, an existing client working under um, one of my uh, existing kind of projects. Um, so, what, what we had there really is Alex uh, found the process quite frustrating. Um, I hope that wasn't a reflection of the services we were providing, but I think it was more to do with the industry and, and the, I suppose the jargon. Um, uh, associated with that. So um, what we did, myself and Richard, another uh, co-founder here um, at Resi, uh, basically we came up with an initial kind of business plan um, for Alex to try and counter uh, some of those kind of negative thoughts that she experienced or had as part of the process. Um, so what we wanted to do really is attack the, um, the, the problems that arose within the industry um, and really wanted to simplify the process. Um, we initially set up as BuildPath, um, taking clients on that journey from, uh, from from design all the way through to completing the project on site. Um, that ran for around 12 months and, and grew rapidly. Um, and then we appointed a, a, a branding team, which basically really wanted to focus on what we were trying to do here in, in the industry and how we wanted to simplify everything for them. Um, so we came up with the kind of short, punchy name of resi.co.uk, um, obviously specialising in residential design. Excellent. Cool. I mean, yeah, the word resi is a commonly uh, terminolo- terminology um, that's used by interior designers and architects and stuff like that. It's very yeah. shortened down. So, okay. And But I've seen your website. It's very bright, easy to understand. Um, yeah. But I'm sure it didn't start that way. And I'm just thinking, what was the biggest struggle that you you had like in getting your message across to homeowners and how this is going to work yeah yeah definitely i think that that obviously the architectural industry is really driven by um, the sort of highly qualified professional people and i think people are so used to that face-to-face interaction uh the old school i suppose traditional way of um getting an architect to come over and talk through their projects and 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 what we found and and obviously with my experience i've I've now worked on over 750 um homo elements is a lot of the time that isn't a necessity it's not specifically required and a lot of our clients want things done efficiently they want things done cost effectively and what we've designed here is a, is a product to accommodate all needs so um 
a client in theory can utilize us, uh, our expertise, our platform and doesn't need to have that site visit and that kind of human interaction. And what that allows us to do is to, to deliver an architectural product very quickly. And obviously being quick um, enables us to be more cost effective. Um, one of the problems we did have there, like, like I suggested, was that they still wanted convincing. And I think what we've done over the last kind of you know, six to 12 months is integrate another kind of kick on in terms of our products and if they want an on-site visit if they want us to come and collect the measurements and and interact with them then that's something that we bolted on as well okay good yeah i mean it's definitely i could see that there was a a niche in the market as such because um homeowners don't have much time anymore as well they're working a lot more hours um trying to get a site visit scheduled in yes can be quite difficult sometimes yes using up the weekend or your evening so yeah yes Great. Um, so can you, what, what common mistakes do people make with extensions and renovations, do you think? Um, I think well, there's, there's, there's a few. Like I could probably talk about a lot of the questions you're going to ask me for hours. So what I've tried to focus on is, is the key things associated to the specific type of projects that a homeowner would embark upon, which is typically uh, uh, redeveloping the existing footprint. Um, it's extending to the rear or to the side to create an open plan kitchen, dining, entertainment space. Um, it's adding an additional bedroom to um, accommodate a growing family, for example. And I think for me, I always try to be transparent when I'm pitching for new business um, and also to give people that kind of professional guidance from the outset. And I think the, the key f- key part, first of all, is to appoint the correct professional. Um, and what I mean by that is that there are various journeys that a homeowner could go go down, uh, go the, the path that they could kind of proceed with. And that could be going straight to a builder. It could be going to an engineer. Um, it could be going to a surveyor. Um, and for me, I think if you appoint uh, an architect with lots of residential experience, understands the kind of nooks and crannies that need to be considered. Um, that's a very important start of the process. Um, and I think what that will allow them to do then, the architect, as long as they um, don't overcomplicate the process, they can really kind of avoid the homeowner getting lost in the jargon, um, which the industry obviously is commonly known for. And that's something that, Resi, that we're really trying to focus on educating the homeowners so they understand what they need to do and, and they can build up that trust in relationship from the outset. Um, uh, several other mistakes are things like uh, not understanding the whole timeline associated to the project how long it takes, uh, the various stages, the paperwork involved, um, and also things like budget, the financial side of things, and not understanding that the architect isn't the only person here. There, there could be a structure engineer, there could be a CCTV surveyor to collect the existing information underground that we can't see. There would be a structural engineer to help them create that space and take out the wall and to design the steel work. There could be a party wall surveyor and how how they need to proceed down the legislation side of things and, and make sure that they aren't um, having an adverse impact on th- their neighbours. Um, so th- they're some of the common mistakes, yeah. really, I would say. Okay, I think one of the most favourite though is actually the budget, isn't it? Really? Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's that you could talk forever about that. I mean, there are hundreds, sometimes thousands, of decisions to make in terms of materials and everything. Yes, um, definitely. You really have to be clear on what you can spend. So okay. yeah, no, yeah, I think yeah, on, on that, I think the transparency, and I, I touch yeah. on it kind of further on yeah. in this kind of conversation, really, and I think that's, that's key. Good. Okay. Um, so what fr- what frustrations can people expect to deal with? Yep, fine. I think, uh, again, I can kind of hit that 
yeah. quite clearly. I think uh, misleading information is one of the kind of key things, really, and, and, and lack of transparency in the process. Um, there might be myself that gives a, a, a client a certain kind of um, advice on, on what they need to do and, and when they need to do it. They might go to a builder who would have a very different mentality and then they're more focused on being kind of direct and, and just getting them on site, but then kind of missing some of the key phases. Um, that, that people have different priorities. Um, which obviously my prior architectural practice would be very different to if I was a builder. Mine is to create a good space and be be professional, whereas a builder might be thinking about how quickly they could construct this and and and, and kind of making things more cost effective in in that respect. But obviously, then the clients left with not understanding the elements like engineering and building regulation compliance and party war processes. Um, so, for example, I've worked on say a loft conversion in the past where a client might have gone directly to a uh, a loft specialist, um, and, and then the loft specialist is very much focused on making the construction phase quick so they can get in and out, as we say in the industry. Mm. Um, but then, obviously, their drive isn't to maximize the potential of the space where mine would be so i'm more always kind of trying to focus on making sure that the homeowner understands the decisions they're making the impact that decision has um whilst considering not only the design but also the cost side of things so yeah, a bit more transparency yeah. from, and a bit more professional integrity I, I suppose absolutely absolutely okay and um why are more people turning to extending their home as opposed to buying yeah yeah, well, yeah, I think obviously this becoming is becoming very sh- kind of more kind of uh, a common scenario, should we say now? Obviously, with with Brexit, with the housing market being very flat, uh, with house prices that have kind of increased dramatically over a number of years, uh, foreign investment in 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 London, for example. Um, so, I think some of the key things really is obviously. I know a common scenario again would be a growing family who needs more space. Uh, what do they do? Uh, they want to go and buy a bigger property and it costs them an extra £150,000 and then they've got to consider um, stamp duty. Um, it makes sense to convert their loft. Um, the benefit again of that would be that they may have set up a life uh, in, 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 a, in a community um, and they don't want to have to move out uh, to different areas where house prices are cheaper, but they get more for their money, um, but has, a, has an impact on their, know, their children being at school, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got a massive housing shortage as well here, here in the UK, which is, which is driving house prices. I think a lot of it is dictated by um, stamp duty government driving the kind of costs up in that respect and, and it doesn't it doesn't work it's what we call overcapitalization. so people have got to be very conscious of um what they're spending and, and how, how they can afford to do it from their financial perspective really yeah 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 okay um what's your what's your background in architecture how did you get into the industry uh, mine's a slightly different to, to the norm um so I'm, I'm very much kind of technology uh tech architectural te- technician kind of driven really so i got offered a um uh, an apprenticeship scheme uh, a practice called roberts gardner uh chartered architect in, in gloucester where, where i'm kind of from and okay. um, so i left court 16 um i spent four years working with them um and while studying for my technical qualifications at college um that went very well uh, i got on very well with the team there and, and they continue supporting me uh, as i went to leicester school of architecture and um, so i studied there for um three years 
um, carried on working um, to kind of support myself financially. Um, and then I went and worked in Australia for a large practice um, on a, it was the first Hong Kong investment on George Street in Sydney. Okay. Um, and then whilst I was out there, um, kind of missed home a little bit, to be honest, fam, family and friends, um, saw an advert on Gumtree for a freelance uh, architectural technician um, in East Dulwich, is where, which is where I'm kind of living now. Um, okay. I came back and, and then started doing some drawings and then it grew from there really. So then I kind of grew, grew a practice and, and grew more experience in the industry and, and, and then kind of carried on with that kind of journey. I mean, and what you really mean is that you, you missed the English weather, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, yeah. I missed the English, especially at the moment where it's kind of like minus five and lots of snow and uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. Um, can you explain the process of a homeowner? Um, that needs to know if they decide to extend their house. What is yep. the design process and how long does it take? Yeah, I think on this, again, there's lots of, this is where you get the inconsistency in advice. So I'm going to very much focus on what I, I feel a client should do, should do and, and what people should be considering before they kind of embark on, on a project, basically. And I think from the outset, it's very, very important for them to assess where they are. Um, mm. Are, are they new? Uh, how much kind of handholding do they need? Uh, what budget have they got? And I think getting that kind of defined very early on in the process should should allow everyone to kind of build up a good working relationship. Um, following on from that, they really need to kind of talk to the designer, build up that kind of trust and, and make sure they're happy to work with them in terms of um, personality types and com- communication levels. Mm-hmm. Um mapping out the property and, and coming up with a design and, and also agreeing on fees, what, what's involved in the scope, what are the costs going to be associated to that. Mm-hmm. Um, then obviously they, they kind of go through the design process. Um, they then need to understand what's called planning permission and householder planning applications or understanding their permitted development rights. And what that means is the government are allowing homeowners to do certain things to their property to ex- expand it, to make it more suitable for their needs. Um, Next step following on from that, I would say who's going to be, who needs to be involved, who's going to be involved, understanding the party wall acts. Do they need a party wall surveyor? Uh, do they need a structural engineer? Why? Um, and then once they've got all of that clearly defined, obviously the house with budgeting, there's no surprises. Um, and, and then they've gone through that exercise, then they need to look at moving on to the building. Um, who's going to construct this tendering um they're they're the kind of key things really in terms of the process okay okay Uh, i think this is a really good step guide actually which i'd like to um probably put in a pdf and put it onto the blog so that people can can just go through it but um yeah yeah yeah, sure we could we could definitely provide that yeah and the whole build well getting the building process undergoes and is a whole nother episode i think um, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I could I could talk about about it for hours. Really, <laughs> the traditional route and tendering to multiple contractors. Why you yeah. should do that? Understanding the cost side of it, uh, yeah. negotiation in terms of playing off uh, contractors against each other in terms of the contract sum. And there's yeah. various various techniques and things that we could cover there. Great. Well, maybe we can get you on again. Yes. Um, okay. So, uh, where does Resi fit into the design industry? How is it unique? Yeah, okay, good. Um, well, traditionally, architects uh, are, are regional. Um, uh, so a lot of practices will focus on I know, their kind of properties in close proximity. And generally, that's what homeowners uh, would have wanted because that's that was the norm. They want to yeah. know their architects uh, a few doors down or uh, a few streets away. And I think that that's not 
the case really what we're doing here is at resi is that you don't need to be kind of in close proximity to the site because of online data the the likes of the planning portal and local authority websites where there's data available uh right move zoopla we can get a hell of a lot of information associated to people's homes without having to need to to attend site and i think now we've got that kind of point across and and, and a three four hundred projects we completed already and once you've explained that to a client and demonstrated what information we've got and i've got photographs of kind of people kitchens and their gardens available to me instantly um that they're really kind of like shocked but they also are then convinced that that you don't need that kind of specific local architect so we've seen a a gap in the market that's how we are unique we're working in ireland we're working in scotland we're working in wales devon brighton london we're all over the place um so that's a a really kind of start point starting point in terms of how we're we're unique um, with, I think with, well, I'll say we're the first practice that uses technology. So obviously we've got a team here of coders and engineers that are allowing us to, uh, communicate efficiently. We're instant in terms of our communication. We've got online chat. We've got screen share. We've got obviously our standard telephone system. Um, but the way we're set up is we've got a really good, clear communication, um, method um that allows us to be efficient obviously that then passes on in terms of less time spent um while still producing a very high quality architectural product makes it more cost effective um and they're they're the key things really in terms of who we are and what we're attacking and why we're doing it i think two points that i just want to come back on that is definitely with the communication thing i think as if you've got the communication sussed then um, you're onto a winning really because um, that's where I feel companies break down yeah. and it's that, that communication and passing it on to the rest of the team. Um, the, but just talking about the, the experiences that you've had with these um, three or 400 um, projects, yes. um, the feedback that you've received from, from, from the homeowner must be pretty impressive, right? Like they're a bit surprised how well it can work. <laughs> Yeah, 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 definitely. Well, I think that I think the first thing we do, which clients like, is we offer a free consultation, which um, obviously you can get an architect out and wait two weeks and get that free consultation. But we're pretty much, if you phone us, that can be provided within kind of half an hour or so. And that's what the kind of consultation kind of team are set up here to do. Um, and then in terms of feedback yeah we've had some quite interesting words used of how kind of exceptional it's been and how, how happy they are they are that they found us rather than using their more conventional architect the word of mouth is spreading quickly uh, we get a lot of inbound leads as we call them now where people have, have been recommended um we've been recommended to them by friends that have used us our reviews on um house are kind of ramping very quickly uh we get client feedback forms so we can look at improving things but generally all around uh, our reputation is, is growing very quickly um we're, we're kind of heavily um, advertised on people at home building shows and all the different expos that we're attending so yeah there's there's, there's a lot of buzz around the, the, the concept and, and the business we're now promoting and the growth we've got here is is, is quite scary but we're still um we're delivering and, and clients yeah. are loving it so it gives us lots of confidence in what we're doing yeah yeah um just actually whilst this has been aired out um unfortunately we missed the uh slot where you were going to the be at the home building and renovation show at the nec yeah um but are you going to be at any other shows this year 
Yes, uh, I'm actually on uh, an, an expert tomorrow um, at um, home, yeah, actually the Home Building and Renovation Show in London. Um, then we're off to the NEC um, the end of this week. Um, we're doing the Property Developer Show. We're doing Grand Designs. So every every show um, which is heading. Uh, which is available for homeowners to attend in, in the UK where we're at. Uh, we're bringing in our VR. Uh, we're bringing in our uh, the technology side of things so people can look at our interactive Brilliant. models and our products and come and use the kind of Google cards and speak to us. We're, we're providing free consultations. Uh, so myself, um, some of the architects here, some of the kind of technical and planning team will be there so you can come and talk to us about your project. It's all free. We can kind of give you guidance on, on what you what you need to do, what you need to be considering. Um, you can booking advice calls with us um you can really yeah, focus on who we are and have, have a chat with us it's all yeah it's all covered off fantastic i mean um when we with the blog maybe we can just put on those dates that you're going to be and your stand numbers so people can find you yeah exactly we've got all that from our marketing team so um i Brilliant. can send you that information not problem okay good so um what questions should a homeowner be asking to an architect Okay, cool. Yeah, well, there's lots again here, and I think um, I try, I try, I'm going to try and focus on some of the, some of the key things really. And I think I've touched on it previously. That, yeah, I think cost is is important. So, uh, how much is this going to cost me? Um, and I think it's always important for me that a homeowner's natural instinct. I think anyone's natural instinct is when someone says, "What's your budget?" Um, is you, you come in under that just to try and play a bit of a game with them. Um, but obviously, I think architects are professionals and, and need, they need to be advised correctly because when you're producing a building or an extension or some form of development, the architect needs to know what they're designing with, with budget in mind. And that's really important because there's nothing worse than going through I don't know, a six-month exercise or a three-month exercise or, or, or even a, a quick concept study that we can do within I don't know, 72 hours to, 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 to then see an overall cost, which is well outside of your budget. And then the homeowner thinking that they've just spent loads of money on something that they can't afford to do. Yeah. Um, that's important. Um, Timeframes. We need to all be realistic. Um, we need to plan our lives. A lot of homeowners have families and schools and, and lots of different things to consider. Um, so I think that you should always get a clear kind of timeline from the architect to understand the design process, planning applications, permitted development, uh, building regs, tendering, construction is even important because some people tend to plan their holiday, holidays around moving out and coming in at certain stages of the project. Mm-hmm. Um, that's very important. And then also who else is going, going to be involved? Um, one to understand uh, the professionals that are, who else is needed and, and also the costs associated to it again for financial planning I think they're the, they're the three key things yeah. where if a homeowner knows they can plan and, and that, that maintains a good relationship and uh, helps plan life basically okay all right very good um, can you give us some tips of how people um, make sure that they stay within their renovation budget Yep. Yeah, I've got some good good kind of tips there. I think, obviously, like I said just, just then, it's be transparent with your needs. So identifying clearly what you want to achieve here. Um, obviously, some, some architects can be very creative and, and they, can, they can kind of stamp their personal preference on a scheme. And that's not always what a homeowner needs. Obviously, you need to have flair and you need to be able to give them an opportunity to create the best space or maximise the potential uh, look at the environment that, that we're going to kind of allow the kind of homeowner 
to kind of exist in. Um, but I think, yeah, being being transparent and clearly defining what's wrong with it at the moment, how how, how would you like it to be improved? Um, and then also how much you, you're willing or you can afford to spend on this. So I think that, that that's a good kind of initial tip. Um, another thing as well is kind of one of my kind of pet hates. I think sometimes people cut corners. Um, obviously, there is there are fees associated to a lot of the different parties involved, but one of the common things I always find frustrating is that um, if, for example, we're doing an extension on a ground ground floor property and then the extension is going over a drain. Um, What's underground? We can't see it. So a CCTV survey, survey should be completed so we know how to design around it, where we can relocate that manhole. Um, okay. it's, it's the same with structural um, investigation works. Obviously, some, some houses are 100 years old. Uh, things are hidden. Uh, we can't see them. And, and then to avoid kind of variations as a result of, of what we call unknowns, um, investigating what's underneath the plasterboard. So I think a bit more investigation work, being, being allowed to kind of do that and trusting your architect. If he wants to see certain things, let them drive that forward because it really will protect uh, people's investments. Do you think, um, like you just mentioned about the unforeseen, um, and that's always within a project, I think, but um, if do you think a homeowner should plan a contingency, something to put aside just in case things happen down the line? Yeah, yeah, I think a contingency is clear. Clear is clearly needed because obviously the last thing anyone wants is coming towards the end of a project and they're they're a few grand or sometimes more more than that short, and they've got to try and find that money with the stresses of a project and relocating back into the property. For example, it become quite an intense exercise. Mm-hmm. I think one of the things to try and reduce the contingency. So, say typically someone would say allow ten percent contingency. Yeah. For me, I would say that you could reduce that to 5% if you appointed a good architectural team that was allowed to do their job, was allowed to bring in the engineers and the other professionals associated to it, to compile a detailed design package, to tender it to multiple contractors, to clearly define responsibilities, what's included in the price, what isn't. And all of this would allow for a clear understanding of the financial situation. I think a typical scenario is someone finds someone to do a, a quick kind of a back of a fag package Set, set of drawings, doesn't get any detailed drawings done, goes straight to a builder. They think the builder's allowing for everything. Then the builder says, well, we didn't allow for supplying your tiles or your kitchen or mm. your gla- your bifold doors. All of a sudden, the client's committed to the contract and then they've got to find a lot more money. So contingency needs to be used correctly. And I think, in short, detailed design package, good set of professionals, and give yourself a 5% buffer there. Um, if you want to cut corners, give yourself a lot more. Yeah, yeah, great. You said it. Okay, um, what trends have you been seeing in the last year? Any requests that keep popping up again and again? Yeah, I think, yeah, What the way I've kind of interpreted this really is that a lot of it is to do with the housing market being very very fragile at the moment. Uh, everyone's kind of aware that there's a there's, after the ramp, there's been a dip. Um, there's people insecure around the Brexit. So I think what we're what we're understanding now is people want to still create the square meters, the additional footprint, um, but they're spending less on the specification and the finishes. They want the space um, with a nice kind of nice fit out, but not spending tens of thousands on a German kitchen or um, high quality finishes because that's not going to give them any more space. It's just going to look nicer. Um, So I think being more, being more, yeah, the practical features that don't devalue basically. Okay. 
Okay. Um, okay, we're on our last question. So uh, the planning process um, is filled with architect jargon. Yes. Um, what five words should people know and listen out for? Okay, fine. Um, I think, yeah, I think obviously on a day-to-day basis, I'm, I'm speaking to homeowners and really understanding um, what they don't understand, what they need to know. And I think the, the, the kind of key words I, I use often, uh, and there's actually four. Um, so it's one's called permitted development rights. So that's something that the government have set for homeowners in certain areas uh, and what they're allowed to do to the property. So... Um, if I'm a homeowner, really understanding what your permitted development rights are and what's involved in that process, um, how you, that could have an impact upon you in the future if you sell the property. I think in short, under permitted development, you could build a loft conversion and an extension in certain areas here in the UK, and mm. you, don't, you don't need to apply for that permission. Uh, what you should do is apply for a lawful development certificate, and then if you sell the property in the future, that's what solicitors are going to ask for, and that helps smooth out the process. Okay. Building regulations. Um, people tend to think that a set of planning drawings are all you need and you can go and build this um, and nothing else needs to be considered. It's not correct. Um, building regulations is a requirement uh, for certain types of projects, typical projects like extensions, loft conversions, the common types of developments. Uh, what that basically is, it conf- confirms the work's being completed, conform to the building regs and at the end of the project, you'll get a certificate of completion, mm-hmm. uh, which again is a requirement in terms of future resale um so again a homeowner needs to really understand what the building regulations involve not just from a financial perspective but in terms of protecting their interests and making sure the quality of the work um, is up to up to scratch okay um another good one um tendering process um quite commonly i'm explaining what that means um i would say that a lot of homeowners generally just think i get some drawings together i'll bring over a builder that I know um, and, and they can quote and go ahead and build this. Um, for me, I, w- I would always advise that they get a competitive edge. Um, they look to use uh, the architect's contact base and, and go and see the work or projects that they've worked on. Um, architects recommending builders are obviously very conscious of their reputations. Um, you don't want to recommend a builder that's not going to do a good job because the client will say, well, you recommended the builder, sort it out for me kind of attitude. Um, and then the tender inside of it is more about the financial control. Um, so making sure that the builders are aware they're bidding against each other um, and, that, and that makes it more kind of cost effective. I think that's very important. Yeah, I do too. Uh, good. <laughs> I, w- I will come back on it in a minute. Yeah, that's cool. Um, and then the last one really is the Party Wall Act. Um, it's not a requirement for every single project, but in short, if you're building within three metres of a neighbouring property, um, if you're building on a boundary um, or taking out a chimney breast, um, etc., then which is very, a lot of those three are very common with terrace, semi detached houses, for example. Mm. The Party Wall Act is a requirement. Neighbours need to be notified there's a cost associated to it um, and it's it's designed to enable homeowners to build it's also designed to protect um, the neighbors uh, the structural integrity of their property um, that they're, they're, they're kind of four very important um, architectural jargon words a homeowner should really understand before they embark too far into the process yeah yeah okay um just to come back on that tendering process bit yeah. um the the traditional is get free quotes um and i think uh, if if 
if the tendering process, if everyone did that, then I think a homeowner would benefit heavily from the financial aspect of it. And I think um, it also flags up um, other interest, like where one builder would quote for a certain thing and cover for a certain area. And that might bring you an idea that you could then go to another builder with. So it's kind of, you're getting free ideas in a way for the tendering. Yeah, no, definitely. I think, yeah, I think, I think, what you'll find with a tendering process is that obviously there's only so much you can c- cover in a, in, a, in a design package and builders are extensively experienced in constructing. Yeah. Um, so they'll be picking up things that, uh, I know, what do you want to do with your existing bo- boiler? What, what do you want to do with these radiators? And, mm. and all of these things can kind of get discussed and determined to make sure there's clear, there's consistency. Um, and also then when you kind of divulge and collected all that information, that could then go back out to the other builders. So we've the, the homeowner's got like for like comparisons. Obviously, an architect would generally manage that exercise if a client's happy to invest in in their kind of fees. But yeah, not all people are are willing to do that for for various reasons. And mm. a homeowner should be aware of that. Basically, I just think sometimes that when homeowners do get quotes, because especially if they're doing it for the first time, they're putting all of their faith into the builders um, for architects. So it's always good to just get some professional advice as well. Yes. down from an architectural point of view yeah yeah no yeah definitely like, these, these are common things we eat we even as part of our consultation here at yeah uh, before clients even decided to work with us we're, we're covering a lot of this off for them from the outset just to we're building up that trust i think i think it's really important great i think it's amazing yeah i've, I've looked into your your company a bit and it's uh it's definitely um impressive Good. Um, and uh, i wish yeah. you all the luck with it thank you very much for coming on no problem hope that helps no problem if you're planning a renovation or you're moving into your first new home then the akiva toolkit could be the solution you need with its easy to use package of 10 documents you are able to manage time budget and the communication between your builders and you to ensure the project is complete to satisfaction first time round. The Akiva Toolkit saves you money and time. It's for the first time renovator and the renovator that wants to do things better the second time round. It's a fraction of the cost compared to paying for mistakes or repeating work that's already done. Go to akivatoolkit.com and get your project off to a perfect start today.